The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Dad, I'm broke. Hey, broke. I'm Dad. Dad. Okay, don't you have cash saved up from babysitting? No, I spent it. I want my own bank account from S&T Bank. They offer free ATMs, Zelle, and an annual scholarship. Plus, when I open a Smart Start checking account, I get $100. See? I'm responsible. Hey, responsible. I'm Dad. Visit stbank.com slash smartstart for details. Bonus available July 1st through September 30th, 2022. Opening deposit balance of $50 required. Member FDIC. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. This episode is powered by Poddex. Poddex are unique interview questions and episode starting prompts in the palm of your hand. So whether you're a new podcaster or existing broadcaster looking to grow your audience and have more meaningful conversations, you're going to want to check out Poddex. Now, if you want to get 10% off your order right now, you can go to poddex.com and type in coupon code, what's the code? Larry21. Yes, that's the code. Check out poddex.com. Take your podcast to the next level. Welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. We dive into stories of true crime from unsolved cold cases to historic kidnapping to gangsters and beyond. We are your source for true crime. We thank you for listening. Welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. I'm your host, Larry Elise. And on today's episode of Cold Case Friday, we dive into the Arushi murder. But first, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Pondex, of course. You can check out Pondex today at pondex.com and use the promo code Larry21 for 10% off your order. And today, let's dive into the Arushi murder. First off, I'd like to apologize for butchering these names wrong. I tried my best. Sector 25, New Delhi, India, May 16th, 2008, 6 a.m. Marty Mandal, the 35-year-old housemaid to the Tallwater family, had just rang the calling bell in the family's apartment. Rajesh Talwar and his wife, Napur Talwar, both dentists, were late risers. It was the other servant of the house, Himaraj Benjandi, who usually opened the doors for them. But today, Himaraj was nowhere to be seen. This apartment had three doors at the front to maze through before accessing the living area. The outer gate could be opened with a firm push, the middle one had a mesh with a latch, and then there was the innermost door with a self-locking mechanism. Barty pushed the outermost 
outermost door, which did not open. So she kept knocking and trying the bell, which eventually woke Napur from her nap. She was surprised that Hemraj was absent and figured he had left to fetch milk after locking the middle door from outside. Napur tried Hemraj's phone to inquire when he, where he had vanished. The call was picked up, picked, but abruptly cut. Through the mesh between the inner and outer door of the apartment, Barty asked Napur to throw her the spare key from the balcony in case the middle door was locked and not just latched. She obliged. By this time, Rajesh had also woken from his nap. As Rajesh entered the living area, he found a scotch bottle on the dining table. Rajesh knew it was not him who had kept the bottle there. Alarmed, his attention toward, turned towards his daughter, Arushi's bedroom. Arushi's room adjacent to the master bedroom, where Rajesh and Nupur slept, had a self-locking self mechanism. It could only be unlocked from the inside or the outside with a key. It was usually locked, and today, Rajesh Talwar found it unlocked. Rajesh and Nupur entered the bedroom, and there they saw Arushi's dead body on the bed, covered with a flannel blanket. The parents were shocked. Rajesh started screaming while Nupur stood motionless. By this time, Baharti had opened the outermost entrance with a firmer push and found that the middle door was only latched, not locked. She opened and walked in and saw the couple crying and the housemaid was taken aback by the sight of the dead daughter. Nupur pulled the blanket off Arushi's body. Her throat was slit. There was blood everywhere. Arushi Telwar was murdered. Hemraj, the servant, was missing. So, of course, the question is, where is he? Hemraj Benjadi, a native of Nepal, was a cook and a servant to the family. The 45-year-old was trustworthy and usually slept in his room adjacent to the house entrance. He had access to the entire room, was on good terms with the family, but had vanished now. Thus, every detail seemed to testify against Hemraj. Even the police concluded that he may have entered Arushi's room in a drunken state and tried to assault her sexually. Arushi resisted, and Hemraj finished her off with his Nepali-style knife. When the investigator, investigative officers reached Talwar's apartment, the distraught Rajesh begged them to nab Hemraj before he could leave the country. Some reports suggested that Rajesh even offered a bribe to the officers to speed up the proceedings. The officers followed the usual protocol, passing the message and circulating his photo, but Hemorrhage was nowhere to be found. On the first day of the investigation itself, this case had suffered a major setback. It was the unruly access that neighbors, media, friends, and relatives had to the crime scene. When police arrived at the scene, they found as many as 21 people in the entire apartment. Everyone entered and left the scene as they pleased, as if this was a fish market. The crime scene was a fingerprint nightmare for the forensics department. As the post-mortem report rightly pointed out, the crime scene was completely trampled upon. When the forensics collected samples from Arushi's room, portions of her blood-stained bed, blanket, and pillow, they let the family clean the room and remove the mattress for cleaning. A few friends and relatives took the mattress to the terrace. However, Talwar's terrace was locked and the key couldn't be found. So the mattress was dumped on the terrace of Talwar's neighbor, Mr. Tandon. What separated the terraces was a grilled wall. As people laid the mattress drenched with her blood on Tandon's terrace, they didn't notice that next to them, on Mr. Talwar's terrace, there was something. 
the dead body of Hemraj Binjati. Now, let's uh, dive into that locked door, shall we? On the day Arushi was found dead, a few people had noticed bloodstains on the terrace door and staircase of Rajesh's apartment. But there were other few, including some policemen, who testified to not seeing any blood spots there. So it is possible that these stains were left by friends and relatives who tried to dump the bloodstained bed on the terrace. Or it could have belonged to the killer who tried to escape via the terrace, and he must have found another way out after finding it locked. Since Rajesh Talwar couldn't find the key to the terrace on May 16th, and the terrace was accessed via his neighbor's apartment, the door remained locked for the day. The next day, when Rajesh and Nippur left for Harid War to immerse their daughter's ashes in the gangs as per Hindu custom, a policeman broke open the lock to the terrace, and there, much to everyone's surprise, was the body of hemorrhage lying in a pool of blood. It had begun to decompose, letting out a horrible stench. The policemen called Arushi's parents to return to their house to identify the body. They obliged, but Nopur remained in the car as she considered it unholy to return to the house with the ashes. The couple resumed their journey the next day. Were the parents the murderers? According to the autopsy report, both Arushi and Hemorrhage were killed between 12 a.m. and 1 a.m. Both murders had a similar modus operandi, blunt force attack on the victim's head with an unidentified object following by slitting their throats. So one can safely assume that the same person committed both murders. The police, despite the lack of proper evidence, theorized that the parents were probably the killers, and they had developed a few theories. First theory assumed that Hemorrhage was going to blow the whistle on, the, on an extramarital affair, which may or may not have existed. Therefore, Rajesh finished him off on the terrorist, and later Arushi too, because she was a witness to the murder. The other theory thinks that Arushi caught her father having an affair with one of his co-workers, Anita Durrani. She objected to the relationship. When Rajesh returned to his home at night, he found Hemorrhage and Arushi in an objectionable, though not compromising, position. The report resume, assumed it was Arushi's act to vent her anger against her father's promiscuity. This theory did not go down well with the public, as rage erupted for tarnishing Arushi's character. The officers responded by modifying their theory to Arushi was killed for confronting Rajesh about his extramarital relationship, and later hemorrhage for being a witness. The officers did not have solid, tangible evidence to prove either of their theories, but they stood by those outrageous claims. At best, what they had were circumstantial conjectures. Well, let's look at the evidence against the parents. How could the officers conclude that Rajesh was the murderer? Well, we're going to cover some of the points that affirm their belief. Number one, Arushi's bedroom was next to Rajesh's bedroom. If someone else had killed Arushi, how come the parents did not hear any of the noise? Rajesh and Nupur later explained that their air conditioner was malfunctioning, making a lot of noise which drowned any sounds from outside. Number two, Arushi's bedroom could be open from the inside or the outside with the help of a key. The parents couldn't explain how the murderer entered her room. Perhaps they left the key on the lock. And number three, Rajesh had apparently shown a keen interest in di diverting the officers to chase hemorrhage, and in hindsight, 
This was seen as an effort to mislead the investigation. Number four, Rajesh couldn't find the key to the terrorist. Terrorists, excuse me. Number five, the crime scene looked as though it was dressed up. Several objects near the body, her toys, school bug, school bag, books, etc., had no blood spilled over them, which means those items were placed after the fact. As you can see, these are thought-provoking ideas, but none of them is conclusive or compelling enough to book someone. And now, let's take a look at the Central Bureau of Investigation's involvement. After the police investigation garnered enough flack from the public, the, can the case was transferred to India's premier investigation agency, the Central Bureau of Investigation. The CBI started by verifying the defense of Talwars, the noisy AC shutting off any sounds from outside. And therefore, they were obvious, oblivious, I mean, to any possible sound from Arushi's room. As it turns out, the parents were right. The AC made such a loud grunt that they couldn't have heard any screams from Arushi's bedroom. Besides, the fingerprints of either of the parents were not found on the victim's body. The parents underwent lie detection, brain mapping, narcoanalysis tests, and none of them brought any evidence that could be used against them. The CBI's findings thus cut a stark contrast to the police investigation which pinned every charge on the parents. Rajesh told CBI that the police theory which pivoted upon his extramarital affair was something that was planted into their head by his assistant at the dental clinic, Krishna Thadarai. Krishna wasn't a friendly assistant, and to make matters worse, was at the receiving end of Rajesh's anger for making an improper dental cast. He shouted at Mr. Thadari two days before the murder. CBI soon took Krishna into custody, and in the search that ensued in his house, a knife and a pillow cover, both stained with blood, were recovered. Mr. Thadari went through a narco-analysis test, and according to revelations from this test, the officers went after Rajkumar, a servant of the Durrani family. The investigation soon reached a common friend of Rajkumar and Krishna, Mr. Vijay Mandal. CBI was making fast prog progress along a path that Delhi police had not foreseen. The officers put Rajkumar uh, and Thadarai to narco-analysis tests. It is worth noting that the results of narco-analysis tests are not admissible in the court of law in India, but they do help the officers as pointers. So it's similar like lie detector tests in the U.S. They're not um, admissible in court, but it gives police and investigators like a way, um, certain direction that they should look into investigating-wise. The pair, in their medicine-induced state, spoke of the events that happened on that fateful day, but their version differed from each other. So now let's talk about those stories. The deceased hemorrhage, Rajesh's assistant, Rajiv Makar and Mandel were all friends. On the day the twin murders happened, all of them were in hemorrhage's room. But what happened after their beer party in hemorrhage's room differs in each narco revelation. For instance, Rajiv Makar's version had Arushi threatening them to expose their verbal abuses towards Rajesh 
for which she was killed. Enrage stopped them from fleeing, for, he, for which he too was killed by Thunderai and Rage Kamar. Once again, apologies for butchering these names. I, I can't even begin to pronounce these perfectly. All the versions had murders in them, but the medicine-induced statement under narco-analysis was not going to be of any use to press the charges. Besides, all three suspects had managed to produce some alibis. Charges could be pressed, and later, Vijay Mandal accused CBI of trapping him for saying something while he was unconscious. The original CBI team was eventually replaced by a new team, made it which made a complete U-turn from the first team and fixed parents as hot suspects. This was closer to the initial inference the police had made. One of the doctors who conducted the post-mortem said that Harushi's hymen was ruptured and her private area seemed to have been cleaned. Besides hemorrhage's private part was swollen, both details indicated possibly sexual intercourse. The officers assumed the murder weapon was a golf stick. Rajesh was an amateur golf player, but no evidence could be gathered from his golf club. Besides a few such additional points, the new CBI team agreed with the police's initial findings. CBI eventually filed for a closure report stating that the sequence of events on the night of the murder was unclear. However, the court asked the CBI to go ahead with the trial, charging the Talwars. On November 25, 2013, a special CBI court found the parents guilty. A day later, they were sentenced to imprisonment. Four years later, the High Court acquitted the couple, stating there was inadequate evidence to incriminate them. And almost five years later, we still don't know for sure who committed double murders. There is a lot more about this case that I just couldn't fit in this episode. But here is five more interesting details about this case that I uncovered. Minutes before Arushi's body was discovered, Napur had briefly tried Hemorrhage's phone to see where he had gone. The call was picked up and instantly disconnected, so the killer, whoever it was, had his phone with him in the morning. Police found that cell phone was within a one kilometer radius of Nathari Village Tower. Both Rajesh and Thadarai's apartments fall under this radius, and the cell phone has, was never recovered. Number two. The Wi-Fi router inside Arushi's room was switched on and off several times at night after her death. It was assumed that someone had accessed the router, although it was eventually brushed aside as router malfunctioning. Number three, the scotch bottle sitting on Rajesh's dining table had bloodstained fingerprints, which were never identified. Number four, Hemorrhage's body was found on the terrace near the panel of the cooler. So whoever kept the body there possibly had their prints all over the cooler. The police officers should have taken the cooler as evidence and sent it for detailed forensic examination. Number five, there was a blood-stained handprint on the wall of the terrace where the body was found. The print could have belonged to anybody, including the relatives or friends who visited their house, but it wasn't identified. And number eight, as a special one, the golf club was identified as the murder weapon and was handed over to the CBI team by Rajesh itself. The investigative team should have asked themselves, why would a killer give away the murder weapon? Let us know in the comments section below what you think happened. Were the parents the murderers? 
Was it a John Benet Ramsey murder case? Let us know your thoughts in the comment section below. As always, hit that like and subscribe button and subscribe to the podcast on all your major podcast platforms. And if you want to support the show, you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash TCNS. Your support helps the channel grow and take this show on the road. And with your support, we can make that a reality. As always, thank you so much for watching and listening, and we will see you next time. You have been listening to the True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast. Thank you for listening. You can follow us on Facebook at True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast and on Twitter at True Crime NS. And follow us on Instagram at True Crime Never Sleeps. Thanks for watching. If you want to support the show, Buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash TCNN or become a patron at patreon.com slash true crime never sleeps. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.